Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. There were a series of supernatural events that occurred in a remote township in Western Australia in the 1950s that became known as the Mayanup Poltergeist. These events were widely experienced by several hundred people. Those coming in to report on what was happening, like newspaper and TV reporters, as well as local people who found it all to be just someone playing games and disrupting the work that needed to be done on nearby properties. One thing everyone agreed on was that the faster they could get to the bottom of it, the more quickly life could return to normal. But this wasn't going to happen any time soon. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne, and in this week's episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we take you back for part two of the Mayanup Poltergeist. In this episode, we follow the trail of the poltergeist as it moves to different places and starts to impact more than one family. If you have not listened to episode one, please go back and listen to that one first, and then come back and listen to this one. Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Well, and here we are back in the studio for the very last time for 2022. Did you about to say 2024? Oh, I, I nearly said three. 2022. <laughs> Oh. Uh, to do the last episode of the year. I can't believe we're actually we're we're actually recording it. I thought for a little while there that um this may have to part one may have been the one for the end of the year, and that we're going to have to do this one of the next year. But I have a feeling, uh, even if I had been dead and oh sorry unalived and <laughs> in a coffin somewhere, that you would have um, animated my corpse and Ed? made me do it anyway. Ed? Are you there? Yeah. Wake Come up! On. Come on, Ed. We've got one more to do. One more. Just one more. Then you can have a rest. Yes. So um, after being through a gastro bug and possibly Rona, uh, I'm here. I'm mm-hmm. doing the last one. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're looking nice and perky. You're, you're looking... soldiering on, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, no, but you're looking good. I wish I looked half as good as what you do at this moment in time. <laughs> um, we, we actually had to cancel our seance parlour tonight too because I... I don't. I'm still testing negative, but 
Um, I know that I had been exposed to cl- two cases really close up and I hadn't been feeling great. And, you know, we're so close to Christmas. I would hate to be responsible for giving someone COVID and them not being able to celebrate Christmas with their family. So mm. it's okay with you because you've already you're you're just done it, so yeah. You don't care about me. Don't yeah. care about you. <laughs> you you can just suck it up, girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, and I saw a little memory pop up in my Facebook feed oh, today. Yes, eight years. And was it eight or ten? Eight. Eight, I think eight years it was eight ago. Eight years. And I I realised that that was the moment where I made the choice because I I was very timid. I know you all find that really hard to believe, but I was really timid about um, anything in the paranormal field and didn't feel I had confidence. Um, and you were ho- hosting a high tea, a psychic yes. high tea at the yeah. old Georgian Dragon, mm-hmm. the oldie, oldie mm-hmm. Georgie. The oldie. Yep. And you I came by yourself. I came by myself, which was a huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I know now that some of our people, that our listeners have come to our events on their their own, own. which has been a big thing for them. So Mm -hmm. I get it. Mm -hmm. But it was the best thing I ever did because Mm -hmm. that put my feet on the path to be hanging out with you Mm -hmm. and having fun. Mm -hmm. Can't believe it's only eight years. Eight years. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we had sort of had a bit of contact leading up to that, but Mm -hmm. I think I'd done some of your ghost tours. And, um, yep, that was it. The rest, as they say, is history. history. I'm just hoping I'm not going to sniff too much during this. I'm going to – I didn't realise how loud a breather I am. I've listened you to are. some of the things played back and I'm mm-hmm. like <sighs> – In the meantime, we've received a stack of fabulous Christmas cards. We uh, did a Christmas card challenge this year and uh, only about a week ago this <laughs> This came up as a yeah. bright idea. Yeah. Like, oh, and- <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea 10 days before Christmas. Yep. And uh, we're doing a Christmas card challenge and challenging uh, some of our listeners to send in a Christmas card with some jokes. Yes, with, so with a naughty to- Christmas joke or yes. some sort of Christmassy had, joke. They had to have naughty jokes in them. And we've had some amazing Christmas cards and some fantastic jokes. Yes, and some of the cards have been very clever. Yes. But we've also received a beautiful present. Yes. From a very special listener and one of our friends, Erin. Yes, Erin. Now, we work with Erin doing Spooky Chat for Mm -hmm. CEDAR, which Mm -hmm. is uh, a disability uh, community. Mm -hmm. And um, Erin finds... Uh, some locations like we used to just do it on once a month at a chit chat mm-hmm. but then she started finding locations and we've been taking her out and we'll do a ghost hunt and do live feeds back to YouTube so everyone can watch and she sent us the most adorable Build-A-Bear yes Delilah Black yes. now did I get Dahlia it Dahlia that's right Dahlia because it's like the Black, Black Dahlia yep. Dahlia Black and she has even made her a little goth dress to wear. Yep. All in black with skeletons and things on it. Yes. It is divine. And yes. she is sitting here with us right now doing the podcast. So, Erin, yes. thank you so much. She'll be appearing on some of the um, episodes of um, things that we do live in 2023. Yeah. We'll make sure that we we showcase some of the beautiful gifts that people have sent us yeah. by um, holding on to them during our lives. Yes. <laughs> So it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you, Erin. All right. So shall we get on with the show? Let's do that. 
Aidan Eads had an intriguing encounter with strange lights in 1955 at a time when the stones were falling frequently. Young Aidan's father was shearing at Doug Hack's farm and he'd gone over to watch. He'd stayed too late and was forced to walk home in the dark. He went to the Krakur camp, attracted by the blazing light of their campfire. Despite the welcoming warmth, to his alarm, he found the campsite was deserted. Aidan recalled, I, I thought I'd better get out of there. I ran out of the camp over the road and jumped the fence and went down by the big dam in the creek there. I cut across where Jean and Uncle Gilbert were and a strange thing happened when I got to the fence below where the humpy was. As I got closer towards the fence, I seen this light on the fence, blue light. As I was walking to the fence, it was moving closer towards me until it got between me and the house. I didn't know how I was going to get past it and started panicking. Anyway, I walked up away from the thing, thinking I'd try to get away from that thing a bit further, but this thing kept following me. So I thought the only thing I could do was to get over this fence somehow. So I moved up the fence quicker and I jumped over the barbed wire fence. I cleared it easy and kept running. And when I looked back, this thing, this light, was jumping all over the place. It was like it was angry because I got past it. Well, that was short and sweet, Anne. Well, look, you know, we are halfway through the podcast and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I already had a soundscape on the other one and sometimes it's hard to find soundscapes. And no, in actual fact, I forgot to get a soundscape, so I had to very quickly find <laughs> something. You didn't have to say <laughs> that. Oh, look, I'm not trying to put you if, on the spot. If anything, I'm honest. You know that. <laughs> bloody well too honest, girl. Oh, but that, that comes from the... God, I can't believe you said that. Um, yeah, it comes from The Mystery of the Mayan Up Poltergeist by right. Helen Hack. Yes. I was just having a complete blank today. Like, we sat down to do this and we've done a hundred freaking episodes. I couldn't remember the format of how this thing went. <laughs> God, oh. God, oh, my brain's trickling out through my nose right now. I've got <laughs> tissues trying to mop it up. <laughs> okay, so we are, as you said, halfway through this story. And last episode, what we got up to was the point where the family brought in an exorcist. So they tried a number of things, really got to a point where oh, it was just causing so much havoc in their daily lives. People were coming and and were all over their property, hiding out in the bushes at night. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to catch a glimpse of it. Yeah, trying to kill anything that moved, anything that was up in the tree or anything got shot. Poor, poor animals. And yes, I think everyone was just in this heightened state of, um, you know, wanting to see whatever it was so that it could stop. Yeah. We just need to get back to normal enough of this rubbish I mean, going they, on. They have a, a property that needs to work yes. and animals that need to be fed mm-hmm. and, and and they need to make money. Mm-hmm. So they can't be entertaining all these guests all the time that yep. are wanting to check out the stones. Yes. Yep. Uh, yep. Awful. So they brought in an exorcist and ghost catching was done. So they, they called it ghost catching. So whatever the exorcist did, 
happened and it was an indigenous exorcist mm-hmm. it was an indigenous exorcism it wasn't a a white person's exorcism or a religious exorcism yeah there'd be no point of that would there yes absolutely and it seemed to be successful for a while things seemed to quieten down for about 7 months around may and up now that's a pretty long time for people to kind of forget or put to the back of their minds everything that had been going on and to get back to normal life. So from about the 20th of September 1955, there was a fair bit of peace at Kenanup and Linford Hill. But but by April 1956, the Janik, which is what the Indigenous people called this spirit or this force, energetic force, seemed to come back and it seemed to be stronger than ever before. Did it go away for a holiday? It did. I reckon it's recouped. We're going to come back like that as well. (laughs) We'll be all fired up and ready to throw things at people as well. (laughs) So, yes, it must have just gone away for a little bit of a, a, a reprieve, build its energy up, and then, bam, it comes back greater force than ever. Mm -hmm. So the same thing started to happen as before, but this time there was a bit of a darker turn to it all. Mm. It seemed to be a lot more mischievous, a lot more brazen, a lot more in your face. So at one point in time, the entity seemed to take a child and drag him out of the tent that he was sleeping in one night. You can imagine the kerfuffle that that occurred. Yep. Yep. Now, as I said, the entity was getting more brazen and closer. Oh, so, hang on. I think we've just worked something out. What? The the little boy being dragged out of the tent? Yeah. It was a dingo. Oh, no. <laughs> That's, Stop. It wasn't, it wasn't a dingo Stop. with Azaria. It was a poltergeist. Stop. It's dragged the baby out of the tent. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh, that's another story. There you story. go. Solved. Mm. Yes. So there was no more kind of in at, at a distance type of happenings. This now seemed to be right in your face. And Gilbert also suffered from this. He would feel breath on him at night while he was sleeping. <gasps> he could hear whispering. And, oh, you're going to love this. You're going to love what I say next. Oh, Yeah, what? Okay. He also found some sticky, odourless fluid on the floor of his bedroom when he woke up one morning. <laughs> Got no idea what that is. No. It's cat vomit. Yeah, no. The furball. Got no idea. I'm now, not going into it. Is it just <laughs> Gilbert that was hearing the voices and the heavy breathing? Yes, yes, but... Heavy breathing and sticky substances stop. on the floor. I don't know. Science. I just don't know. We've we've heard of those types of ghosts, those sex ghosts. Isn't it just that called go- a wet dream? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Not going into it. Or it could go. Why does that even go into a book? Anyway, by 1956, <laughs> there was another family, the Krakowers, that had had enough of all of this, and they packed their bags and left the property. Never to return. Oh, that was the Linford Hill mob, wasn't it? So, no, that was the uh, that was the other. That was the um, who were they? The Krakows. The Kenanup. The Kenanups. Right. Okay. So the Krakows were at Kenanup. The Linford Hill mob also left, and right. there seemed to. I thought finally... it was the Smiths that were at the original one, and it was the Crackers that were at the sorry Crackers. <laughs> 
<laughs> at Linford. But anyway, they both left. They both ended up leaving. They had a laugh. So this, this None of the sticky still, substance no more. It was still going on. It was oh. still going on. And they'd both had enough. They'd had enough of people coming and asking them questions. And also and cons- accusing them. Yeah, accusing yeah, them of continuing it. to do it. So they went, nah, done, dusted. And the only time activity occurred again to the hacks was when the Smith family came to visit. Mm-hmm. Now, with the Smiths, it all started again just like before while they were there. Mm-hmm. So you had the stones, the sticks, bottles, whatever, came flying through the house, started all over again, but yeah. only while the Smiths were there. So did anything happen to the Smiths when they were away from there? Yes, the experiences were still happening to the Smiths and it got to a point where Jean actually stopped telling people about it. Oh, she wow. said, it's, yeah, it's just too much. I can't keep telling people about this because it's just happening so often. Yeah. Um, and people will think I'm just making up all of these stories after all of this time. I'm just going to stop. Yeah. And these experiences were also being felt at two other properties. So, as I said, the Linford Hill mob and the Cannonup mob, they eventually moved away um, just to try and make it all stop. And, of course, Jean just didn't want to continue carrying on with this story. She's kind of going to go, let's just say it's just all stopped. Yep. yep. It's not happening here anymore. Now, then in March 1957, the Janik moved again and it moved 150 kilometres away to a farm north of Mayanup. Now, 150 kilometres away is a pretty fair distance. Yeah, that's that's a long way. Yeah, for energy to, to go. And this again became a bit of a... A famous bit of poltergeist activity. And this was at Pumphrey's Bridge. Love that name, Pumphrey's Bridge. And again, the focus was on two Indigenous families living on a farm, on a property at Pumphrey's Bridge. So we're back with the Indigenous people again. Yes, yep. Now, the thing was, a lot of these families seem to be connected. Mm-hmm. There's a thread of ancestry here. Yeah, they're either they're either connected through blood or or marriage, right? Mm. Let's just leave that little yeah. piece of evidence there. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the Penny family and the Eugle family were working and living on the property, and these families lived mostly in tents out the back uh, on the properties. And so when the stones started to fall, they became terrified and went outside Mm -hmm. to look to see if somebody was doing it. So they're out in the wilderness. Probably there's trees and, you know, a little bit of covered area. So, you know, maybe someone's hiding in the bushes or something and throwing these rocks. Uh, You've got to remember, 150 kilometres away, you know, the story has gotten to them, but it's a long way for someone to travel to throw a rock. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly just a random. Well, let's let's pick this property. That's that's yeah. that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> so the rocks were mostly small, and they fell again with this weird plonk, as if they kind of were dropped. Boom, and they didn't not move. flying. Yeah. They're just just like a slight yeah. place pop. pop. Yeah. 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 Um. Or they floated down. Landing gently. I'd love to see oh, this. I want to see oh that. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. 
uh, and they never really hurt anyone. So the only time I have had this happen is at Maitland Jail when we heard the rock yes. fall behind us. Yes. In the um, the stainless the steel blocks. sink in yeah. the shower blocks. So that was a real poltergeist moment. Yeah. And it was astounding because, again, it was a rock that fell once. You heard the the knock or the fall once. It didn't roll, didn't move. Um, and when you looked at the rock, it was all kind of different shapes. It wasn't flat to make it fall. It could have rolled. And we have no Especially idea where it came from. fallen from a height, mm. um, it would have bounced, but it just went, just yep. fell gently. So these guys were going through the same motions in their minds as we have just gone through. And they tried even an experiment where they closed up the tent to the outside. They laid down fresh chaff bags and sat down and waited to see whether any stones would fall. So they literally like sealed up the tent. Yes. So nobody could get in little any crack anywhere. Yes, yes. Wow. So they're really trying to work it out. Now, they went in and they found small stones going um, onto the ca- the um, the chaff bags that were on the floor, and uh, a lot of them were there. Yep. So they'd they- open up the tent and lo and behold, they're stones. I think they actually sat inside the tent too to see what would happen because I was reading up about that as well. And they said they watched stones pass through the tent walls okay, yeah. without leaving holes in them. Mm-hmm. So that I don't know if they're standing on the outside looking at them going in or whether they're on the inside looking out. I don't know, mm. but um, maybe, yeah. Maybe they did a few experiments. Yeah. So after three days of this, um, they moved about 16 kilometres away. And uh, guess what? <laughs> the Janik followed them to their new camp oh. and again started showering them with stones. Right. So the, the, the mob moved. Yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So they felt they couldn't outsmart this Janik, this this entity. And so they eventually moved back to the property uh, where they had been. Because no matter where they went, the thing still kept on happening. Yeah. So why not move back closer to where, you know, they could get you know, the things that they required and closer to where they were working. Yeah. So soon word got out, of course, that it was happening all over again. And guess what? All the sightseers and all the journalists started to arrive and started to watch to see whether they could be there when the stones were occurring. But did they see anything? Now, most of the reporters seriously thought that this was something supernatural. There weren't many there that were there just to try and disprove it all. Some of them really wanted to see whether they could capture the evidence and, you know, really, really, you know, prove to people that something was going on. And they they didn't have cameras and video cameras like we have today. No. We're we're talking about the 1950s, so um, it's harder to... Capture yes. moving objects. They yep. can try and photograph it, but even then the, the cameras they would have had then wouldn't have been as advanced and the shutter speeds wouldn't be as fast to capture moving items. 
So there was one journalist called Tony Taylor, and he wrote for the Sunday Telegraph, and he completely and unequivocally was convinced that there was no hoaxing going on, hoaxing. Now, there was also another person who was very, very sceptical, and he was Athel Douglas from the Western Australian Museum. So Athel Douglas started to call everyone liars. He thought it was just all rubbish. He was convinced of it. So you can't do that. You can't just brand everyone a liar. That is just so wrong. Mm. But what he did was he went snooping around to see if he could find anything and he went out with a compass Mm -hmm. and found a footprint from the same direction that all of these stones had been coming from. And he claimed that a friend of Cyril Penny's confessed to the whole thing being a hoax. Yeah, that's rather convenient, is it, from one footprint? Yeah. So as far as he's concerned, he's solved it, doesn't know what everyone's going on about. Um, Yeah. Hmm. We have another person, Jack Coulter from Perth. Now, he was a crime reporter. So you would think that this is a man who is very good at observation and writing up reports. And he spent three days in the area where the whole stone throwing was or had happened at Mayanup. And he also thought that it was the Indigenous families who were causing all of this chaos. Do you mean physically causing it or do you think, um, like, did, did he think they were um, being hoaxes or that it was a spiritual thing? No, he thought that they that they were seeing this happening and believed that it was to do with land spirits, right. their spirits, yep. because they were in total fear of what was happening. Yeah. That they could not make up and he felt that they could not pretend to be as fearful as they were. Yeah. So he absolutely also believed Alan Donaldson and the last thing uh, was when his cameraman had lined up everyone for a group shot mm-hmm. all together, including all the Indigenous people of the area and uh, was ready to take the shot and then four stones fell right down in front of them. So they were all there. There was no one hiding in any bushes. Right. Yeah. And then, bam, here are four, sto- four the, stones. As if as if the Janik said... I've got to oh, be in the photo too. Yeah, there you go. We're <laughs> trying to prove that I'm not here. There you go. Now, let's introduce someone new Ooh, to I like a new all one. of this. And this is while... Um, Jack Coulter was there, mm-hmm. so the the crime based report, the crime reporter, and this is Slom Sunter. Who? Sorry, who? Slom Sunter. Oh, so, Slom. Slom. I, I thought you said Schlong. I was Slom. getting a little bit worried. Slom, <laughs> who was I don't know, who was an experienced police officer. Just call him Inspector Sunter. That might be easier. It's a slom. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a. I don't know. Error. <laughs> That's a typo. Let's just, let's just say. Just Inspector Santa. <laughs> Inspector. I'm having trouble with words. Inspector Santa. And, and he was he was an experienced police officer who had worked out in the bush and amongst the Indigenous people for a very long time. And he came to the conclusion that it has to be some sort of geological disturbance. And that most possibly this has been going on for a very long time. But because the Indigenous people are people who 
travel nomadic from one spot to another and it has only been a short period of time since the white people had actually lived on those areas Mm -hmm. that they just didn't notice this happened before that's actually really clever Mm. so that's another theory then we have mr jinx that turns up mr jinx mr jinx now at Pumphrey, remember, remember old dear old Pumphrey, Pumphrey's um, what's it called? Pumphrey's Bridge. Yeah, Pumphrey's Bridge. Yeah, Pumphrey's Bridge. Um, the stones only fell when the pennies and the eugles visited Cyril. Right. So they believe that the Janik had attached himself or itself to Cyril. Oh, poor old Cyril. Uh, during one of the visits at Mayanup, and that he um, also, it's noted that he was also a blood relative to the Smiths. Oh, it's so, Jean, I believe it was. Yes. And now she was the one in, my, in part one that I had a sort of inkling that it might be her as the, the catalyst. So mm. that's interesting that he's related to her. Mm-hmm. So Cyril then had this seed of doubt planted in his mind that it could be Cyril. And so he started to believe that he was jinxed and he packed up his whole family and they moved 40 kilometres away from Pumphrey Mm -hmm. because he thought, well, I must be causing all of this now. So it's only happening kind of around me. I'll leave and leave everyone alone and then it'll just stop. Did it? No. Oh, (laughs) The oh, stones kept hell. falling. After moving your whole family yes. away. Oh, my God. The stones kept falling. So Kevin Eugle became convinced that it must be him. Of course. He's the jinx. <laughs> this is like when we go ghost hunting, people go, oh, there's nothing happening. It's me. I'm a jinx. Yeah. They all think they're special. Yep. Yep. Maybe the ghost just doesn't want to talk tonight. And it's not about you being special. Mm-hmm. Uh, never mind. So Kevin Eugle then drove to Narogan to try and get help from an Aboriginal shaman or elder. The Maba. Yep. And this time, this clever man succeeded when all the rest seemed to have failed. And this clever man did an exorcism on Kevin Eugle and the stones stopped dropping and never returned. An exorcism. An, an indigenous exorcism. Yeah, a, a, a ghost getting. It's called <gasps> ghost getting. That would be fabulous. Or catching the spirits. Or ghost catching. Yeah, it was oh. ghost catching. Yes. Yes. And doing whatever needed to um, to be done. So some years later, Cyril admitted that he had had one more episode of the stones landing around him. And this is when they were on the road and around the township of Borden, about 200 kilometres away from So it's definitely not the area. So it happened once again to Cyril. Yeah, so it's it's not the area, it's the people. Mm. So that's where I stop. That's about as much evidence as we have. Um, And a lot of this has come from the book. Yeah, Um, the Australian poltergeist. Yep. Uh, by Tony Healy and Paul Cropper, because there's not really a lot of information out there. We did have some beautiful people send us some links after the last episode, um, and a lot of those links actually you either needed passwords to be able to get into them or mm-hmm. the links no longer worked mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, the thing had expired, and it was just like this dead end after dead end. It was um, That in itself was interesting to me. Um, but in regards to that Cyril Penny event that when he had the uh, – the, um, 
stones fall 200 kilometres away from where he started out, mm-hmm. apparently they got pelted with sandalwood nuts. So they gathered a few of them up because they're in a tent and they threw them out into the darkness and said, hey, go on here, here, have a go. And a shovel full was hurled back at them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, oh, now that's I've, just crazy. Yeah. Now I've got to pick up the story. I hope you guys are all enjoying this episode. This has been a really fascinating one for me, and I'll reveal my thoughts at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's been a bit like a, a detective hunt. It, it really is. I feel like we're doing true crime here. Mm. I know. I get annoyed with the podcasting because they they have all these categories that you can put yourself into. Mm-hmm. There is no supernatural or no, occult no. or ghost or anything. No. Anything like that. So we have to put ourselves in true crime or something like that. But this this really feels like it has been one this time. Now, I'm going to introduce a couple of new people now. Mm-hmm. George. George? George. I'm going to introduce you to George and Harvey. Now, George Dixon was from Eastington, which is near Boyette Brook. And he used to visit the Kenanup um farm or homestead, whatever you want to call it, often because they used to like watching the events and they even gathered up some of the stones and took them home as souvenirs. And um, his 11-year-old son, Harvey, was particularly fascinated with it all. So the 25th of May that they were there, this was the night before the Smiths left for good, that Mm -hmm. they packed up and left. Um, They were there to to watch the show, so Mm -hmm. to speak, and they witnessed showers of gravel and other phenomena that was happening around the place. Uh, but the activity ceased there that night, but 20 kilometres northeast on the Dickinson's farm. So this is George and Harvey. Um, a few months later, the activity kicked up on their property. Mm-hmm. So they witnessed it there before the Smiths left and then they've headed home. And then they've got the activity. Are the stones affecting people? I don't know. Did did the poltergeist take a shine to Harvey? But the thing is, they've only been really interested in indigenous people up until this moment, and I don't think this pair were indigenous at all. So now we're moving over to the Dixon's farm. We're going to talk about what was happening there. There was some. It wasn't nasty. Mm-hmm. Again, we only had that brief moment where it turned a bit nasty after it had a big break. Mm-hmm. It was trying to drag kids off like dingoes. Anyway, um, they noticed that pencils were missing and they would turn up somewhere else so they thought okay you know we, we know what happened at the other place let's let's set up the pencils mm-hmm. right we're going to line them up and they lined them all up in the kitchen and then they watched them disappear in front of their <laughs> eyes in front of them oh no and they would find them throughout the house that's, that's just, I've actually got goosebumps just even crazy. reading it. Uh, then stones began to fall the next day. Um, they followed Mr. Dixon and his married daughter Layla and Harvey. Now, the stones even followed Layla and Harvey on road trips into Boyup Brook. Not only were they falling on the roof and the bonnet of the car, but they were falling inside the car wow. as it was moving. No. So how, how could that be? <laughs> People throwing stones when you're inside a car and it's moving. Then they went in to go and do their groceries dropping and the stones started falling around them while they were shopping. Oh, that's just nuts. I wanted to see this. (laughs) That would just be crazy. 
Oh, okay. So um, now we're, where are we up to? What farm are we on? We're on Eastington. Is that it? Yep. Um, so there was weirder things that happened in other locations. Many witnesses saw it. There were stones and potatoes, tin cans appearing, disappearing indoors and outdoors. Um, the hacks came to visit. They witnessed, <laughs> witnessed shovels and a three-legged stool jump around inside a milking shed. Wow. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So this this is this is big stuff mm-hmm. being witnessed by what they now the the investigative um, uh, the inspector mm-hmm. um, had said these were all decent honest people mm-hmm. and uh, even though we were in the middle of this whole white Australia policy and there was a lot of um, uh, nastiness and horribleness towards our indigenous people they were not treated like that by the hacks yes. uh, or the other um, landowners out here. They yep. they were all treated well. well yeah, well looked after. Um, considering the, the climate that we're, they were in yep. at the time. And again, we apologise if we are offending anyone. That is, we're just trying to report the history of what has happened. Um, so anyway, that yeah, they witnessed these shovels and stools dancing around, which is like what we do with table tipping. Um, two journalists actually witnessed stones passing through the roof. Mm-hmm. So they'd hear it hit the roof and then come through, but the roof was still whole. Mm-hmm. Um, some objects would appear and disappear before their eyes. Wouldn't you think that all the uh, religious people would have been out there blessing it and saying that it's Satan come into the town? And uh, Anyway. Uh, now, another thing that the the poltergeist or the Yannick, Janik, whatever you want to call it, enjoyed doing was pulling covers off neatly made beds. They used to pop stones underneath the bedclothes. <laughs> It's something I would do. <laughs> Maybe it's me. Maybe it's my ghost somewhere in the future or the past doing something naughty. Um, Sylvia Yates also... <laughs> oh, dear. I don't know if I could read this one out. Let me put my straight face <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. I read my bit out. You read your bit okay. out. Okay. Sylvia Yates <laughs> witnessed a growing bulge under the bed quilt. Okay. Moving as if it was alive. Okay. I see that every Sunday morning <laughs> in my place. Oh, no. And it turned out to be stones. No. It was a pile of stones that was forming and making an erect mound underneath the quilt covers. Isn't that... Just... Yeah. No, no. Now, at this stage, of course, they're trying to come up with theories. What is causing it? Um, so there was a suggestion that the stuff at Eastington might be... Um, Caused by, and I'll put this in just for you, caused by an eccentric, unalive uncle. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, George's brother Robert. Now, um, they've got good solid, good solid names there. Now, apparently, he used to see ghosts. He used to strange see strange lights on the property. He was known as Uncle Bob. He was very well liked. He was gentle, kind, and they just he was odd. Mm-hmm. He lived on his own planet. He never left the farm. He was a diabetic. I don't know why that needs to go in there. That he was a diabetic. <laughs> apparently, deaf as a post as well. Um, couldn't speak terribly well, probably because he didn't have good hearing uh-huh. and he loved little kids and made toys for them. Oh, bless his yeah. soul. So the reason why they thought it might have been him is because when the stone started to fall, it was the 10th year unalive anniversary. Uh-huh. Right? That's the day he died. Yeah. Um, you said that word. I know. I I'm, I'm brave. I don't care. Uh, was it a con- coincidence mm. that it happened to fall on that day or or was it Uncle Bobby? But either way, the, the Dickinsons or Dixons then started to refer to the poltergeist Janik as Uncle Bobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would ask Uncle Bob to throw something, and of course the Polt would oblige. It would throw something. So it's intelligent sort of interaction that's happening there. One day, the uh, Uncle Bobby made a, a baby's dummy disappear, mm-hmm. um, and they said, now, Uncle Bob, that's not a nice thing to do to a baby, and it immediately reappeared. <laughs> <laughs> I just <did> the- <laughs> Oh, no. <sighs> there was another time. This case is wild. It is it's, wild. It's like, wild. I, you couldn't even make it up. <laughs> Nobody could sit down and make this stuff up. It's so bizarre. And look, again, a big shout out to Tony Healy and Paul Cropper for their work in Australian Poltergeist. It really is such a well-written book. Um, There was another time that Dixons uh, went to the bakery and they they got whatever it was they needed to get and they came back. um, And when they walked into the kitchen, the exact money they had spent at the bakery fell onto the table. Now, what I wanted to know... Probably nobody thought to ask at the time, was the till out by that much money at the end of the day? Yes, because we've heard this at, um, we did a story um, with money coming back uh, with those guys that were in the um, in the backyard in the mower shop. Oh, yes, yes. And that pennies would come through and money. Mm-hmm. And later on, it was found that those pennies and money that was appearing was pennies and money that they had had just in different places. Yeah. So as they say, matter is neither created nor destroyed. It's had to come from somewhere. So it would have come back from the shop. So, yeah, somebody's lost it somewhere. Yes. But they um, they knew the poltergeist was with them that day because there were stones or pebbles dropping on them inside the car. Mm-hmm. So obviously the poltergeist has gone with them, seen how much they've spent, whipped the money out of the till, <laughs> brought it back home for them and dropped it on the counter and said, there you go, have there that for go. free. I'd be saying to them, no, 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 don't be doing that. That's not fair to the people who have baked this and, you know, it's taken their time and their money to make me the bread. Take it back. Anyway, um, Uncle Bob was known to perform some party tricks, more or less on demand. Um, they The the family would mark several coins, so they they put like a... X on them or something. Yeah, yep. and put them aside and then ask everyone at the dinner table to lift up their plates. So everyone had to lift up their plates and to see that there was nothing there. They'd put their plates back down and at the end of the meal, they'd say, lift your plates again. The marked coins were found under every plate. Oh. Whilst they were sitting there eating. 
So I'm getting goosebumps over this. Either that or the aircon's on too hard. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the the entity seemed to be really focused on Harvey. And this is the 11 year old boy. Uh-huh. Uh, and a lot of accusations started flying because he was interested in the other poltergeist. They were saying that he was just copying and he was um, hoaxing and he was making it up. And George, the dad, got fed up with all of these accusations. So <laughs> I don't know if this is a good experiment he did or not, but I'll read it out to you. Um, he placed various objects that he had marked in his son's pockets then he bound his arms in front of witnesses and then covered him up in a buttoned-up coat. So he, he it was like a straitjacket. Uh-huh. And under witness surveillance, objects still left his pockets and appeared around the house. Oh. So is it Harvey? But is Harvey the, the catalyst? Yes. I don't know. Um, at this property, they had events happening day and night. Uh-huh. Now, Harvey wasn't upset by this stuff. He he really couldn't care less. He said, I don't care. That's fine. But it only lasted 19 days and the phenomena stopped almost entirely. Uh, they still did have a couple of what we call jot experiences, just one of those things uh, where things would just disappear and then reappear, but not anywhere to the extent that it was. But they had strange noises start to happen and some ghostly apparitions. Ah. Now, um, the the pulse stopped in 1957. The ghostly sightings and those other weird things at the same property with Harvey still there, obviously much older, in 1970. Ah. So what's that? 23 years later. So he must have been 34. So that's a big gap. It's a big gap, and it's not the same thing. So, poltergeist is very, very different to apparitions. Yes. But you wait till you hear what happened. This is really bizarre. They are in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. 30 years. It didn't um, go across into the thousands. But they had a phantom car. Now, this car could be heard approaching the homestead. You could hear it coming down the long gravel driveway. And they could hear it stopping near the front porch. Um, Would be followed by the sound of car doors opening and closing. The dogs would rush out barking to greet whoever was there. They'd all rush out to see who had arrived. Uh Nobody there. There was one instance where one of Harvey's friends was out the front at the time of one of these incidents happened. And he heard the car driving and then they sort of steeled themselves as they heard the car cross the gravel in front of them, pull up in front of the porch. (laughs) Yeah, they heard the engine turn off. Uh Then he heard the car doors open and that was enough for his mate. He bolted through the house and out into the backyard going, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but they would also get uh, throughout the house, they would hear footsteps. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, they would walk down the stairs across the living room right in front of the residence. They could hear them walking across in front of them, but no one was there. So that's residual. Mm. Uh, they had one stage in 2011. Now, they said that uh, the car didn't go into 2000s, uh, but apparently the phantom footsteps did. Uh, they were laying new carpet and they'd moved all the furniture. And when they had ripped everything up, the the ghost didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And they came down the stairs and they 
stomped through there and it was very loud. They could feel the vibration. Then they moved the furniture and everything back and it just all calmed down again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they always talk about um, uh, how... Making changes. Yeah, they don't like it. Yeah. So uh, Tony Healy and Paul Cropper actually met Harvey. They said he was a really nice bloke. He was really happy to talk about it. Um, I do have a couple more stories I could read out to you if you wanted me to. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was one of the things that I saw them uh, that they mentioned... In their interview, Rosie's wife, this is Harvey's wife, said the ghost um, was very helpful lighting fires in the fireplace. Uh, What? (laughs) It would light fires? Well, lighting fires is... It's part of a poltergeist activity, but it's being helpful. It's not sitting fire to curtains or (laughs) anything. It's like, oh, you want a cup of tea? Let me light a fire for you. Yeah, what the I hell? I don't know. I've got no idea. What the hell? <laughs> I can't figure this out. All right. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to keep going. Because um, now, not only during all of this stuff that's going on, there was also Min Min lights appearing. Mm-hmm. So there were this, I think we're going back over to Main Up with the, the original one, the, the hacks and everything. They saw these spooky lights. They said it was like a dull torch going on and off. They see it white and blue, orange, yellow, uh, approximately nine inches, which is 23 centimetres um, across. And they floated about six metres, which is about 20 feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we did a case of that, the Min Min light. So mm-hmm. it was not that mm-hmm. long ago. So you can go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to that one. Uh, they would notice that these lights would appear and then as soon as the stone started to fall, the lights would disappear. Mm-hmm. So is it aliens? Are they connected? <sighs> well, that we, we do, do we have aliens? Possibly. That, that comes into my notes at the end, I think. Um, so the link between the Min Min lights and the poltergeist activity or the Janik activity was well known with the Aboriginal tribes, the Indigenous tribes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of the area. And they were called the Tricky Spirits and they were often accompanied by lights. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of all linking back, but it's still not quite sure how it went to Harvey unless there was a little bit of Indigenous blood somewhere in Harvey that maybe Mm -hmm. someone didn't know about. Maybe. Who knows? Um, So... Once activity picks up on all these poltergeist cases on yep. all the farms, these um, lights would get bigger and bigger to the point that some people thought it was a UFO. Yep. Now, I actually have a story I'll read to you. Right, so this is from the Australian Poltergeist book. Um, it said, One night on Whistler Road, which forms the western boundary of Linford Hill, Doug Hack's sons... Rod and Kim were illuminated, dazzled, and then chased by a full moon-sized disc of light. The moon disc appeared at least three more times, chasing or pacing cars on the same stretch of road. In 1967, Chris and Neil Sam were chased by similar lights on Codgenup Road, which runs east-west between the two hack properties. So now... We have the possibility, as you said, of UFOs. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And that name that you mentioned goes back to... No, it doesn't. Sorry, it's fine. doesn't? Okay. No. Well, I'm going to keep going. Keep going. But not only 
is it the possibility of UFOs? There were physical traces of something disturbing the earth in Bill and Ethel's paddocks. That sounds really funny. I don't know why it sounds <laughs> Bill and Ethel's paddocks. All right. There was a patch of ground that was torn up in an inexplicable way. Um, now, it had been raining overnight, but the clods of earth that were upturned were all still dry. And they were, um, the area was a, a 10 by 20 meter area. So that's, 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 a, that's big. That's a decent size of ground that's got churned up. Now, it gets really weird. (laughs) If there's more. Okay. Oh, we're nearly done. We're nearly done. Um, Luminous disembodied hands. What? (laughs) What? We've now got glowing hands. But the first time these were seen, and this just gives me chills when I read this, the first luminous hands were seen by young young Tom Hack, who saw them under the floorboards of the Smith's cottage. Oh, my God. You imagine these glowing hands underneath your floorboards? I would be swinging from the chandeliers. <laughs> I would not be anywhere near it. That's terrifying. Oh, my God. Disembodied <laughs> glowing hands. Yes. And there was a um, there was a, psych- uh, a medium who was famous for that, um, Eva C. Her supposed brother's hands, um, he was her spirit guide mm-hmm. and um, his hands would be floating around doing things. Anyway, um, she was the one that used to have um, ectoplasm coming out of her. A story on it. Oh, please. She's fascinating. <laughs> oh, I loved it. that book. That <laughs> was an awesome it. book. Let's do um, it. I want to hear more about the Oh, she was a great, great character. I don't know. I have to get that book back out and um, and have another look at it because I don't know how much of it is a um, story and how much of it was like true, but it was awesome. Um, now, the hands were seen elsewhere. <clears throat> Alf from not Summer Bay. Alf. <laughs> Alf from Linford Hill and Harvey. Oh, my typing's got really bad by the start. I got to this stage uh, from East Eastington. Also lum- saw luminescent hands, but they were blue. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So um, now come to Australia, people. <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to be. Don't worry about our snakes and spiders and blue bottles and <laughs> and jellyfish. <laughs> I'd be shitting my pants about luminous hands. <laughs> I'd draw the line at luminous hands, floating luminous hands. Oh, I know. I, I didn't think I'd ever find a line, but I found it. All right. So just so we understand that this poltergeist, Janik, whatever you want to call it, spirit, sometimes would happen simultaneously in all three locations of the um, Kenanup, Linford, and the Carabin, which was the pennies. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, whatever this thing was, had the ability to throw stones in three locations at once. Wow. There is a lot of things on this earth we do not understand. No. And this this is reported, it's recorded to have happened. Yes. Yes, by so many witnesses yes. that the and look, I'm I'm going into the summarization now because I I just 
I'm lost. Um, was it family? Was it a uh, relation bloodline um, that's causing this? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a latent ability that somehow or other has been awakened, but that doesn't sort of explain Harvey's mm-hmm. um, interaction with it. Uh, most of the targets were Indigenous people, but again, that doesn't explain Harvey. Uh, was it an Aboriginal curse? Was it the Janik? Was it the angry spirits? Is it because um, at the time they were actually clearing a lot of the land and maybe the the Indigenous spirits weren't happy of the fact that land was being cleared? But then why target their own? Why not target just the white Australians? Because maybe the they were helping the white Australians clear the land. Maybe they weren't happy that their people were involved in doing this. I don't know. Uh, so, as I said, the, the families involved were all very well ex- uh, respected. Nobody wanted to make money out of it. There mm-hmm. was no reason for anyone to actually want this to be out there. Mm-hmm. Uh there were some pranksters, yes, that, that did happen. I didn't mention that in the first episode, I think, where they were trying to imitate the pulp because all the, the, the people would come together and they'd be sitting around the campfires drinking, waiting for the poltergeist show. So they'd go on for the bushes and throw some rocks. Um, but as I said, when the the entity was doing it, the stones would land differently. Mm-hmm. Nobody would be hurt. Mm-hmm. No property was injured. Now... TV broadcasting did come in. They did go out there and try to capture the footage. But guess what happened as soon as cameras turned up? Nothing. Nothing. There you go, people. You want to get rid of your poltergeist? Put a, put a camera, camera up. On. <laughs> Without fail, gets rid of them. Uh, and everyone involved in this whole case went to lengths to try and solve it. Yes. They cleared areas around the buildings that um, that was having the activity. Mm-hmm. They shot into the trees. Mm-hmm. They sealed up a tent. Mm-hmm. They played with pencils. They tied a child up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all sorts of things they've done to try and work out what the hell was going on. And nobody could work it out. The poltergeist would outwit them at every turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... You know, if it was somebody who was faking it and hoaxing it and just lobbing it somehow or other, how the hell did they do it so nothing was broken? Yes. And people weren't hurt. Yep. Particularly over the length of time and yes. the different locations this yep. has happened. Yep. Um, there was a silver paint experiment that they did too, apparently, where they painted some stones with silver paint and placed them all around different parts in the property and they all end up being thrown back at them. Hmm. So, is it family members? Is it pregnant ladies? Because there was two ladies involved this were pregnant, and one of them didn't know at the time, but then found out later. Um, somebody said maybe it could be the unusually wet, stormy weather that they had. <laughs> no. I don't know. No. Could it be an angry Indigenous spirit, angry that so much land was being cleared? Was it Alf? Was it Alf spirit? Remember we talked about the father that yes. that died? Yes. Was it the Buddhist Wilton who was the they, the whole town thought he was a devil worshipper because he was a Buddhist? Was it Uncle Body? Or was it just the perfect storm of people with latent ability being activated through trauma, pregnancy, adolescence and death? I have no idea. I have no idea. I've never heard of anything like this. <laughs> Aren't you glad we did it? Oh, yeah. 
sort of. <laughs> now I just want to see something like this. If this is something that can actually happen, yeah. I want to witness it. I want to be there. I want to have the chance to wrap my head around it. Glow. I'll just I'll just say two words. Glowing hands, and <laughs> Maybe not. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, we have found this absolutely fascinating. And mm. I know I tr- we tried to do it earlier on and went, no, it's too big. And then we came back to it. I'm glad we, we did it for We got a little our- bit more experience and then we could <laughs> handle the two big ones. I'm glad we did it for our hundredth. Uh, I think it's one of the most fascinating stories I've heard yeah. up to this point in time. Yep. Because of all the different types of stuff that was going on and how it just seemed to escalate into something bigger, something mm-hmm. bigger, something bigger, something wilder. Something under the bed sheets that was <laughs> forming a man with sticky, clear substances on the floor. Yes. Um, yes. So we are left with... No idea. No idea. The the not knowing of what, how, why, why hasn't it happened again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, So Renata, just... is it a true haunting I think it is. I think it is, but I don't know if it's a haunting or whether it's indigenous spirits or or um, latent psyability coming to the fore. I really have no explanation for this case at all. Mm. But by God, it was a good one. But if anyone from the area is listening to this... Or has can, witnessed it, they and, might still be alive. And can fill us in with maybe some more information, maybe something up to date, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. In the meantime, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We are taking a break and we will be back mid-January, thereabouts, with some brand new cases from around the world. We thank you for following us. We thank you for being our lives. We thank you for your downloads and sharing it with everyone. And we also thank our Patreons who support us to allow us to do this work full time. If you want to become a Grand Poo Bar Patreon, please do so. Just pop over to the uh, Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and look up for Anne and Renata, and we can add you to our secret little group of all our gorgeous Grand Poo Bars. In the meantime, if you haven't caught up with all of the episodes, now is your opportunity. We've got a hundred of them. Hundred and one now. Hundred of them to catch up with. And you've also got Spooky Sundays, our radio show, which is a podcast, and also Diary of a Ghost Hunter. So hopefully that's enough to keep you going until we get back and Auntie Renata and I have a little holiday. Yes, and then we're coming back with some more amazing stories just like this one. And uh, we hope that you continue to follow us into the new year, 2023. We are expecting it to be epic. And we are hoping that you will be on for the ride with us as well. All right, guys, we'll see you on the dark side. Stay spooky and be frightfully good. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. (laughs) 